0: We are uh, going to be in Luke chapter 12 today. If you got your Bible or uh, iPad or however you access your your uh, the Scripture, you can open up to that. Uh, I just got back last night at about 9:30 from uh, the coastal area of Georgia. I was uh, speaking at a conference down there, and uh, you ever had those travel days? I mean, that you just like it's a long day, and then at the end of the day, you've been on a plane, you've been, you know. I get off the playing at LaGuardia and I forgot the seven trains not running and like it's like okay just like by the time you get home you are like physically weary and uh you know that was kind of one of those days last night but but I also uh, came back I really enjoyed the conference that I was at and that I spoke at and it was like internally like spiritually I was I was energized and excited and you, you know when we meet each other we often ask this question like hey how was your week how was your day? And what we can tell kind of by the response, whether somebody had a physically draining day or maybe an emotionally draining day, or a physically exciting day, or an emotionally exciting day. And it goes, this goes back to what we were talking about last week when we kind of began and talked about this series we're walking into on understanding our soul purpose, is that we have to understand that we are created both physical and spiritual, there's a physical aspect to us and a spiritual aspect to us. And over the next few weeks, we're going to look at how God says we should satisfy our souls. What is it that satisfies our souls? What is it that we should learn from Him? Because each one of us here are created with some basic primal needs i mean we we need that we have the need for food and water and sleep and those kind of physical things but even spiritually it is not just the bible that says When you look at what psychologists and sociologists have studied they come with the basic needs of man that you know we have this desire to be to be loved to be secure to be respected to be significant we have all of these desires in our soul and it's not just that psychology talks about that, but Scripture also really challenges us on how we should think about that. And so today we're going to look at one of the ideas that our soul really longs for, and it's this idea of security, learning to be secure. How can we find security for our souls? The way I talk about it is this, it's like having an anchor for your soul. Something that no matter kind of what else is going on, it is an anchor for your soul. I told you before, I love Gary and Anna. We, we love to go on cruises. If you've been on a cruise, they're, I love them. They're amazing. If you don't like water or you get seasick, you probably hate them. But I love them. And one of the most interesting things, I remember on the front of the boat, I've never seen it like, actually drop, but on the front of the boat is this anchor that's like the size of like an 18-wheeler. I mean, it's this huge thing. And I can just imagine, whenever they do drop that thing, like that boat's not going anywhere. Like, it is stable and secure. Even though the waves around it may move around and the, it rides up and down, it is still secure. And so we're going to look at maybe how Scripture teaches us to have an anchor for our soul and our security for our soul. Now, what is it that first pushes against that? What is it that challenges that thought in our life? What, what is it that, when we feel insecure, what is it that really bubbling to the surface in our life? And it boils down to one word, and that word is fear. Fear goes against our security. When we become fearful, we lose our security. There, there's a there's a couple of times a kind of fear. The first kind of fear is that fear, we see something coming. And we don't know how to stop it. We don't know how to handle it. But we know it's coming our way. I mean, it can be something as simple as like a, a, a bill that's due that you've got to pay for and you don't have the money for. It. And you just like see it coming. You know the due date is coming. And you're like, I don't I don't know. Or maybe it's even a sickness in somebody's life, and you know that it's not good news coming, and you don't know how to handle it. Yesterday, we were, uh, when I was, we had a, a shuttle back and forth between the airport when we were going, and uh, we met this driver when, when we got into, uh, we flew into Jacksonville, Florida. And it sound, Jacksonville sounded amazing. When I got there, it was like 60, rainy, and breezy. I'm like, this is not right. I'm like, it's supposed to be 75 and sunny on the beach. But we had this guy taking us to our hotel, and his name is Pete. And uh, driver Pete, we uh, ended up calling him Pistol Pete, because he, he didn't stop talking the whole time. And uh, we ended up just talking. We, we talked about everything. He was Chinese. We talked about Chinese culture, Shanghai versus New York, and all this kind of stuff. There were five of us in the car with him. And we get to talk, we, we find out he's actually a follower of Christ and so we're talking about that and then he tells us like he believes in fortune telling and uh, so he tells he's like there's a whole science to fortune telling and I'm like we're, we're minutes away from our apartment I mean uh, from our uh, hotel and he's like telling us like how his fortune telling happened in China and all this kind of stuff and so we, we pull up to our hotel and he says oh yeah by the way and I thought he was about to lay like just some amazing truth on he was like you know there's a volcano off the coast of Africa that if it erupts you have six hours to get off the Atlantic seaboard and I'm like, uh, like, are you fortune telling right now? What, what is going on? Like, I'm like, what is this, Pete? Like, where, where is this coming from? And I just had this image of like this tidal wave coming toward New York, coming toward the coast of Georgia. And like, you know, we can't do anything about it. If you've ever seen the movie, I think it's like Deep Impact where they, they're standing on the beach and there's this huge tidal wave coming and they just, stare. that's, that's one kind of fear. And I was thankful like six hours later we didn't get crushed by a tidal wave. But it's, uh, it's this fear that we, things are coming at us and we don't know how to handle it. The other kind of fear that we face is this. Things that we think might happen. Things that we think could happen but maybe actually never will. But just in case we need to shore this up or ste- make this steady, just in case something bad happens, we need to be fearful. And so fear leads us into this life. That what do we kind of do? We kind of shore up this area of our life and get it safe for a little bit, and then we run over here and get this area safe. So we deal with our finances, our our family, my my job, you know this that, and we're just all. It's like we're spinning these plates, right? I mean, we're just kind of we see one start to wobble and we go get it, and that one and just back. Isn't that a tiresome way to live? Isn't that a weary way to live? I've lived that way in times of my life before, when it was just that fear rule in my life and I can't find any security. Everywhere I look, there seems to be a problem. Everywhere I look, there seems to be challenges that I can't overcome. And if it's not coming, maybe it is coming and I just don't see it yet. And I'm just this worry, fearsome, fearful attitude. And there's a passage in Timothy that I love that says this. I want us to read just before we jump into our passage that we're going to look at. It says this, 2 Timothy 1.7, God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. God didn't intend us to live like that. He didn't intend us to be running around, fearful, fretful, trying to solve these problems. Instead, He gave us a spirit not of fear, but of love and of self-control. And so what I want us to do in this passage out of Luke that we're going to look at is, Jesus deals exactly with this. And He deals with people. So if you've got your Bible, Luke chapter 12, let me give you a little context of this scripture. I always hey, just pulling parts out of scripture and start reading things and we have no clue what's going on around here. So just to give you a little idea, Jesus at this point in his ministry had been teaching a good bit. All right, He was already kind of well known. He had been having these conversations, going place to place, teaching. And literally over the past few days leading up to this encounter that we're going to lead or hear about, he had been going and the crowds had been getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And it said literally thousands were following Following him, and it said even in one point of scripture that people were trampling over each other to get to Jesus. And here's the kind of questions they were coming at with Jesus. It was these fearful, anxious questions. My dad just died. Tell my brother to give me some of the inheritance. You know, Jesus, what do you what do you say about that? Or Here's this topic. Jesus, give us your answer to this topic. Everybody was coming to Jesus for like the simple, quick answers. Like tell me yes or no so I can go back and tell my brother who's a jerk to give me some money. I mean, that's basically what people were coming up and like, give me an answer. And once I go, I'll take that answer. You know, growing up, I used to think I would have had like, you know, kind of Jesus is like this genie. And, like, if I had, like, three wishes or, like, three times I could, like, Jesus, tell me exactly what I'm supposed to do right now. Like, the the problem with that is I would have used them all up by the time I was 14. Right? You know, because I thought those were, like, the the big deals in life at that point instead of, like, what comes later, you know. And so we we treat Jesus like that, don't we? Or just, like, give me the answer, give me the answer, give me the answer. And all we really want from Jesus is the answer. All we really want from God is an answer, and that's not what He wants to give us. So in in the midst of this crowd, in this type of environment, Jesus senses the true need of those around Him. And He doesn't give them circumstantial advice. Instead, what He does is He challenges them to change how they're thinking, to transform what's anchoring their souls. And He teaches them to anchor their souls not in circumstances, possessions, or relationship, but instead in the security of the kingdom of God. So let's look, we're going to start in verse 22 is where we're going to start today. So here's what Jesus says. He says to his disciples, those that were following him and those that were around him, I mean thousands upon thousands, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on, for life is more than food and the body more than clothing. And if we just took that lesson, it's like, ah, Jesus giving some advice, but I want you to remember the context. This is Jesus basically telling the people, calm down calm down life is not about what you're going to eat what you wear it's more than that and he just had all these anxious people and he's like relax take a breath and relax and let's talk about the true issue you ever had you ever had a talk with like your spouse or your child about that, where things just get way out of hand and all of a sudden you're having these arguments about things that don't even matter and you're talking about and these little bitty things are bubbling up in your life and you just have to take this minute of oh, a hole. Stop. Calm down. Let's talk about the real issue. And that's what Jesus does in these first couple of verses. He's like, you're, people, you are fretting. It's not that you're just worried. You're like, are having these tangible expressions of worry. Like He could see it in their eyes. He could see it in their face. And they were just wanting an answer, but he knew that life is more than just the answer. Our security can never come from just the creation, from what was created. It's not from food or even the creation of our own hands. True security can only come from the Creator. And so that's where Jesus begins to push them toward, to find security. is Finding true security starts with our willingness to stop, calm down, and consider and look at where we're trying to find true security in our life. And he starts pushing back on some of these. And so let's look at the first one. And Jesus does this by using some uh, visual imagery. So Luke verse 12, verse 24 says this. He says, Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They're neither storehouse nor barn. And yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour His span of life. If then you are not able to do this small thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? So Jesus picks this interesting picture of a raven, and so it's you know it's like Edgar Allan Poe stuff, right? I mean, it's like you know it's like this image. These aren't cute canaries that are floating around. He's like, consider the raven, and and they would have actually understood that because in those days, I mean, the ravens are scavenger birds. They don't nest. They don't live anywhere. They fly around from place to place finding what they can eat and then they move on. And they would have seen ravens circling around different places of their their town feeding on trash or whatever else was left around. And he says, consider them some of the least desirable of maybe God's creation. None of us have ravens as pets, do we? I don't think so. I mean, we have a football team in Baltimore named the Ravens that I don't like too much either. But, you know, it's like, consider the ravens. He's like, consider even the least of that. I take care of them. I even take care of them. How much more would I take care of you? And here's what he's fighting against. We tend to try to find our security in Sustainability. What can I do to make sure I sustain this standard of living that I've created? Right? Comfort. That's what we're, you know, I've gotten to this level. I don't want to go back down here. As a matter of fact, what do I want to do? I'd like to get up here. And so here's what we do. Here's what the the trap of sustainability is. is We then start creating, you know, insulating the things of our life to try to protect or keep us sustainable there. So let's get so much money in the bank. Let's get this kind of job, or let me go for this raise, or this position, or this, or that. And we start trying to protect things. We insulate ourselves in what we consider valuable. And that sounds good. And I'm not telling you not to have savings. I'm not telling you not to try to have a better job. But here's what happens in this cycle. Once we guard this much and we get this safe, what do we then want to do? We want to guard that. We want to make sure nothing gets... To that, and so we just, it's this cycle of insulating and trying to be sustainable, and there's no contentment that ever comes from it. It's just a cycle, it's the spinning plates, right? Well, I'm safe now, but what if this happened? Well, I need to have this much money morning, morning then. I need to, we need to have this. Size of apartment. We need to have this or that or this. And we start trying to just create these barriers and insulation so that if something bad does happen, it won't knock us back down. And you and I all can test in here and tell stories of people that had incredible insulation in their life, but tragedy came and took it all away. Something completely out of their control. I was with a friend on Monday who she was talking about her parents uh, that. Had a you know huge amount of savings and this and that, but for the last seven years they've had to be in nursing home care, and it's completely emptied their savings account, completely. They're trying to get them moved from Florida to New York, and it's just a cycle over and over again. the The hospital won't release them because they owe ten thousand dollars to the hospital. There's no money left, and it's they thought they were insulated, but it was gone. And it's just this cycle that we live in. And, and here's what he says. and what Jesus said? He said, consider the ravens, but how much more do I love you? I'm going to take care of you. And we have to have this very small shift of thought, but this small shift really changes our perspective. It's not that we've got to live thinking of sustainability. We've got to start thinking that we, are, we live as if we are blessed people. That what God is giving, has given us is a blessing. God has poured His blessings out on us, whatever we have. Because here's what I realized then. What I have right now in this moment, my job, my skills, my talents, my money, and you were like, no, 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 I earned that money, I worked these hours. You know, we, all, we all, though, are given life and skill and ability and thoughts from our Creator. So we take those and use those and we create the circumstances, but they're all blessings from God. He gave them to us. So that if for some reason they're gone, do you know what? He can give again. He will take care of us. And I want you to understand, living with this understanding doesn't mean that we won't face hard times, that difficulties won't come our way, that at times we won't be tempted to feel insecure, but the truth that you and I are blessed people will literally anchor our souls to the solid ground that our provision comes from God there is a source outside of me that is looking out for me. That's peaceful. That's an anchor for my soul. It's not up... I'm telling you, if you've never lived this way, to imagine that it is not up to me to do everything in my life, that I can rely on my Creator who loves me and cares for me, that is an anchor for my soul. I'm blessed. You're blessed in here. Stop striving for sustainability. And instead, learn to live out of the blessings of God's sufficiency. God is sufficient. Maybe it's not always what we want, but it is what we need. So Jesus starts there. He says, consider the ravens, even some of the lowliest, ugliest, dirtiest birds. I care for them. How much more will I care for you? And then he has you consider something else. Look in verse 27. He said, Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And so this idea of a lily, its a this was... I don't, this is not the actual lily he was talking about but it's it's a lily from that area that would, it was these beautiful red lilies and it's not that it was a lily that he went and picked up at a store It was like consider the lily you know I mean he, he didn't plan ahead for this sermon like he, and what he's saying is like because he, he talks about them with grass and how the grass he would have looked over and there would have been a field go to the next one there was a field of these lilies and you he would have he seen he's like look isn't that beauty imagine how beautiful the, each of those are but in a few days somebody's going to come and harvest those and use those and they'll actually be just thrown away but God considers the beauty of them He made them He put intricate thought into the lilies that'll eventually wither and die and maybe even used for fuel for something else. How much more thought has he put into the design of you? And this is where we push us back on this thing that this other thing that we put our security in, it's this idea of status. Right? Like we want to feel important. We want to have standing in this life. It's not just that we want to be this isn't just popularity. Like I'm not talking about fame, that we all want to be, you know, famous or things like that. But it's this idea that we want to be we want to be known. We want to have some stat. We want to be known for something. And over those days, Jesus had been confronted multiple times with people from wealthy backgrounds, poor backgrounds, religious backgrounds. People were asking Jesus to pick a side. Elevate me over this person. Elevate this thought over this thought. And uh, they, they wanted, Jesus was kind of getting celebrity status, right? And they wanted the celebrity endorsement of what they were doing. I, you know, come speak on my behalf, Jesus. Show, let me take your status and apply it to me. And he says, consider the lilies. These things that are beautiful more than anything you could actually make. Nobody here has made something more beautiful than the lilies. And there's nothing you can accomplish in your life of greater significance than embracing the truth of this, that you also are a creation of God. You want an anchor for your soul? Another anchor for your soul is is your status is not found in what you do, how much money you make, what you've accomplished this week or this month. It is in the fact that you are a creation of God. Hand-shaped, hand-formed, uniquely gifted, set in this moment in history for a unique purpose. That's where our status comes from. It's not, look what I did. It's not my list of accomplishments. It's that I'm a creation of God. Isn't that an incredible, another anchor for the soul to drop? Because then again, it's not up to me. The status isn't from my accomplishments. It's from the creation of God. And and here's the challenge. Just like we were called to learn to live as if we're blessed people, To to challenge status, we have to live like this. Live as if we are called people. That God has called you to something. He's created you for something. You are created and called. The status in the eyes of man does nothing ultimately for our security because it will fade and diminish. Even the most important, powerful people in the world lose their status. You know, Bill Clinton's gone from being president to campaigning for somebody else for president. You know, it's a different stat. He, he doesn't carry that status anymore. We we that will happen to all of us. And you know, I, I even you know, six years ago, I was in a job that I thought I would be in for the rest of my life. Had a nice paying job. It was secure. I was safe. I was comfortable. I thought this was it. I had just come off of a task force working with our president of the organization. I'd given presentations on his behalf. I had, I mean, I'd basically done a lot of work for him and and it had been very, very successful. And I'm like, man, I am secure. Like, I I can, I've got this job as long as I want. Two weeks later, I was part of 18 positions that were cut in the company. And I'm like, don't you remember? Well, yeah, but we still have to cut some money. And I'm like, no, no, no. It's Patrick. Like, remember, like, I'm... I, 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 it just didn't make sense to me. You know, it was just a financial decision. And I'm like, this doesn't make sense. And it was one of those times that, like, that anchor of, like, status and men was just ripped out. And I'm like, my life was... And I had to go back. And it really drove me back to this question of God, why am I here? What do you want? What are you calling me to do? And that really was a moment that led us to here. It transformed our whole outlook on what we should be doing and moved us to New York, to Long Island City, to start New City Church. I'm not saying I want to go through that again, but it was one of those moments that even when the anchor of the status of men was ripped out, there was an anchor that was deeper and more solid. So live as called created people, simply striving for status. Stop doing that and instead embrace that you are called creation of God. I want to end with this one last thought. And it's found in verse 32 and 34. I love the little imagery he uses here to, to fight back on one little thought. And he says, fear not, little flock. I just love that idea. Little, There's thousands of people around. right? And he's like, fear not, little flock. And they're like, who are you talking to? Like, we're not sheep. But, uh, but then he goes, for your Father's good pleasure is to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions. Give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that don't grow old. Basically, he's saying, look, your wallet, eventually you're going to have to get a new one because you're going to give it away. If you're going to give it away, you know, just don't hold on to all these things that other people hold on to. With a treasure in heaven that does not fail, where no thief approaches, no moth destroys, for where your treasure is, your heart is there also. The last thing we all long for is an anchor for our soul that we try to reach out to is that of feeling like we belong somewhere. right? That we have a group. We have this connection. We have people that we do life with. There are some of us who enjoy isolation and enjoy quietness and enjoy being by ourselves, but that's certainly not the way God designed us to live the entirety of our life. We like to connect our lives with other people. It's why we couple up together. It's why we have friend groups. It's why we go out to dinner with people. We enjoy having a sense of belonging. I mean, isn't it cool when somebody calls and invites you to dinner? Like, hey, they they thought about me. Like, it's like, that's cool. They could have called other people, but they called me. Maybe they called other people first, but they eventually called me. But it's like, you know, it's that, that cool feeling that like somebody chose me. I mean, even if you're the last one picked for a team, it's still cool to be picked for a team. And, and that's where Jesus, like we have this belonging where we want to go out and we want to find a group and he calls us his little flock. And it's not that the number is little, it's like in his mind, here's what he's saying. I know every one of you. I know you. I know your needs. You could actually go out and he says, you could sell your possessions, you could give everything away, don't have a penny to your name, and you're still mine. You're still mine. And we have this longing to belong But here's what Jesus says when He calls us this little flock. He says, don't try to belong. He says, I want you to understand instead you are already accepted. You're already accepted. There's nothing you have to do to get into the flock. There's nothing you have to do to be loved by Jesus. There's not ten steps to then God says, okay, you're worthy of my love. God's love and acceptance is freely available to every one of us. He doesn't withhold. He doesn't keep back. There's not some that he loves more than others. We're all part of his little flock. And it's a flock that he has great desire to see grow numerically and in our wisdom and our anchors for the soul. And so would you trade your anchors of sustainability and status and this idea of being belonging somewhere and would you trade those in for the deeper anchors of knowing that you are blessed You are called and you are accepted. And live life out of that and your soul will begin to find purpose. Let's pray together.